flow. God bringing light out of darkness, order out of anarchy, and fellowship out of loneliness, the blessing of God. And ultimately, um, the most mature, complete, perfected blessing for any person is to grow into the image of Jesus. We see that in Romans chapter 8. That is God's plan for you with your personality and your talents and, and your passions to, to be brought under the lordship and informed into the image of Jesus. Um, we talked about how pride, um, how arrogance block the flow of God and distort his project in our lives and in our world. We talked about how sin, um, impurity and sin and greed and all of that and disobedience, how that deforms us and contorts us and pulls us away from the blessing of God. Um, and so we're talking about getting back into the flow, getting back into what God has been about since Genesis chapter 1 and what his project is um, in the world. Um, and beyond theory, beyond just talking about the ideas and the principles and, and the philosophy of Jesus and, and the idea of what God is about, today we want to look at um, specifically, um, concretely, in the flesh, what does it look like for a life to be lined up with the rhythm of God, for a life to be buried in the flow of God. What does that look like? Um, does it look like the life of a religious fanatic? Okay? Someone who's totally passionate about God, someone who's totally immersed in the flow of God, they're going to become a religious fanatic. Well, no, it doesn't look like that. Does it look like um, a, a monk who, who, who goes off onto a, into a mountain monastery and removes themselves from any association with, with people? Is that what it looks like to draw really, really near to God? Nothing wrong with getting away and, and praying and being alone with God. But a life lived in the flow of God, we know this from the model of Jesus, it's a life connected with other people and the needs and concerns of other people and sharing love with those people. And a very familiar passage to, to all of us who are followers of Jesus in Mark chapter 12, um, where Jesus is essentially asked, so what are the big ticket items? What are the most important things to God? Um, here we go. Pick it up in Mark 12, and you know this passage. Starting in verse 28, one of the teachers of the law, so this expert on the Bible comes to Jesus, um, heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one answered Jesus is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, the Shema. Love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all of your strength, with your body, with your emotions, with your intellect. Love God. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And as I go through the Gospels and I, and I imagine the ministry of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the good works of Jesus, the healings of Jesus, the demonic expulsions of Jesus, as I imagine all that, what I notice very often is Jesus did things to make people think, all right? 
Sometimes you could say he was downright provocative, right? I could heal this person on Monday or on Tuesday. I'd rather hear this, heal this person on Saturday in the middle of a public arena on the Sabbath day to provoke thought, to get people thinking. Jesus was always making people think. He was always challenging traditions. He was always um, confronting customs and hang-ups and prejudices that he ran into because those were blocking the flow of God. They were keeping people from experiencing these great commandments and living them out in their lives. Um, So Jesus would say that the way the world works What you see in the world, on the television, on the radio, on your iPod, the way the world works is not normal. It's not normal. What we see and experience in this fallen world is a world that has been gunked up by sin and selfishness. It is not normal. It is not the world that God intended it to be. It is not the world moved by the flow of God's love. And so we, as kingdom people, as disciples of Jesus, we are called to go out and to restore the world. And to carry the grace, carry the gospel in word and deed into a world that is is far from the world as God intended it to be. John chapter 13. What does it look like? What does it look like? John chapter 13, verse 1. As things are restored, as as a life is moved into the flow of God, we look to Jesus. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world. And we talked last week in the Gospel of John, the miracle of turning water into wine. Jesus tells Mary, my hour has not come. But he interrupts his agenda, and he performs an amazing miracle and introduces grace into a situation. Well, now his hour has come. The hour of his death is upon us, where he will give himself up as a love sacrifice for humanity. So before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world, return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper. The devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. He knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and that he would return to God. So got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Such an interesting, thought-provoking way, John begins this account of the washing of feet. John begins this account before Jesus takes off his outer garment, before Jesus wraps a towel around his waist, before Jesus begins to wash those smelly feet. John wants you to know, wants me to know, that Jesus understood the power that he had. Jesus didn't have amnesia and all of a sudden wake up believing he was a menial slave or a common house servant. 
Jesus knew that he had authority over everything. Limitless power. And John lets us know that Jesus, in addition to knowing that he had limitless power, Jesus knew who he was. He knew that he was the Son of God. He knew that he had come from heaven where he had reigned by the Father's side. He knew that he would return to the right hand of God where he would reign forever and ever. He knew that he was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He knew that there was no prince. There was no tyrant king. There was no president who had power or authority that remotely compared to the power and authority that he had. Jesus, John says, Jesus knew this. He knew this. And so with absolute power, with a complete and crystal clear, eyes wide open awareness of who he was and the power at his disposal, he re- then removes the outer cloak basically gets down to his skivvies, wraps a towel around his waist, and begins working his way around this circle of his best friends, washing their stinky feet. And when disciples understand who they are, when they understand whose they are, when they understand and are overwhelmed by the insurmountable blessings that have been poured over them through Jesus Christ, when they know the high elevated position that they have as children of the King, they follow Jesus, don't they? They follow Jesus. Their need to impress diminishes, disappears. Their entanglement with the normal of the world is cut loose and they are free to love and free to serve in remarkable ways. Verse 6. When she, I love Peter, don't you? When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, you are going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter said, you you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, look, Peter, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. And I'm not a mind reader. I don't know exactly what Peter was thinking. John certainly doesn't tell us exactly what Peter was thinking. But we can surmise. We can imagine why this was an incredibly awkward slash wrong situation in Peter's mind and in his conception. I mean, he knows who Jesus is, at least to a great extent. I mean, he's still learning. But he's the one who declared Jesus to be Messiah, the anointed one of God. And this doesn't fit. The anointed one of God, the one Israel has waited on forever, the one who is going to take the throne of David and reign forever. This doesn't fit with the leadership role that Jesus has. Not only this, guys, but if you think about it a second... 
being served by another person can be humiliating. Some of us would, would, would much rather wrap the towel around and start serving than be the one who is served. In the kingdom of God, though, we will serve and we will be served because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're members of the kingdom. And Peter doesn't know here how to just keep his mouth shut and let his brother and Lord serve him. Verse 10. Jesus replied, a person, I love this, so practical, a person who's bathed all over doesn't need to wash except for the feet to be extremely, entirely clean. You disciples are clean, but not all of you, for Jesus knew who would betray him. And this is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. He knew he was also washing the feet of Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again. He sat down and he asked. Again, he's making them think. He asked, do you understand what I was doing? Think about it, guys. Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher. You call me Lord. You proclaim me to be leader. And you are right, because that's what I am. Verse 14, and since I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. In other words, if you call me Lord and your Lord is doing this, you better be doing this as well. You're not above this. Leaders make people think. Leaders make people better. Leaders pull people together. At least the good ones do. And Jesus was a leader. His disciples knew it. He knew it. He approves of the fact that they refer to him as Lord and Rabbi. He, he approves of that. So, yes, Jesus was a leader. But he was an uncommon leader, a revolutionary leader, an abnormal leader. He turned traditional ideas upside down. He turned the notions of leadership in the first century and the 21st century upside down. He was a new kind of leader and asked his disciples to follow him. That's what disciples do after all, follow him. So to put this in perspective, you may have heard that we're going to choose a president on Tuesday. Uh, I hope you've heard that, and I hope you go out and exercise your right to vote this week. Um, and you will have, well, actually, I was going to say exactly two choices, but I went and voted early, and there were like five names on there. It's really interesting. You know, three or four people I'd never heard of before are also running for president of the U.S., and their names were on the ballot. Um, you may not, um, what you may not know, um, but I'm pretty sure it won't surprise you, is that this presidential race um, is the costliest in American history. 
Yay, we're setting a new record. This is the costliest presidential election in U.S. history. And already over $2 billion, with a B, over $2 billion have been spent by the campaigns um, to, to win. Right? That's a two followed by nine zeros. Um, $2 billion spent. $2 billion spent to make one guy look good and the other guy look lousy. $2 billion to enhance the image of one to denigrate the image of the other. No holds barred. Big Bird has even been released into the fight. Two billion dollars. And that, you're not surprised, I suspect, because this kind of spending is normal. (laughs) It's normal in the way we select leaders. Leadership is about impressing others to the point that they declare you to be their leader. It may involve stepping on some other people. It may involve um, denigrating some other people or showing the flaws in their work, in their character, to rise above everyone else and be proclaimed leader. So to kind of put this perspective, uh, this number in perspective, $2 billion, let's let's take half of that. Let's take a billion, all right? And I saw some stats this week that were very interesting about what a billion dollars will do. All right, so here's your first one. One billion dollars would equal the annual profits of General Mills, right? The cereal company. One billion dollars would equal the annual profits of General Mills, $1 $1 billion, one, would equal the annual income of you plus 25,000 of your friends, right? $1 billion would equal the lifetime income of you plus 2,400 of your friends in poverty. $1 billion would equal the taxes paid by you plus 103,000 of your friends, That's $1 billion. But, of course, we're talking about $2 billion spent by the Obama and the Romney campaigns. And I'm not trying to pick on politicians. They're just really easy to pick on. So um, I thought it would make a good point. I mean, the presidential election is important. I'm not saying it's not important. I think it's very important. Um, I just want us to think about how the world works. And when we have a story about leadership, what a perfect time to talk about the foot-washing story, huh? Because Jesus is not showing us how the world works. He's showing us how it should work, how a world caught up in the flow of God operates, how the kingdom operates. He's showing us the way of the ultimate leader, a leader in the flow of God, a leader who passionately loves God and sacrificially loves the people around he or she. So John 13. John 13 is normal. It is the normal of God. Um, And it collides with the normal of the world, right? I mean, after all, aren't leaders the ones who control everybody else? Aren't leaders the ones with the biggest office and the the parking space? And aren't leaders the one with the fattest salaries and and all of that? And Jesus comes around and he just says, whoop, you call me a leader. You call me Lord. You call me rabbi. You're right. 
This is how leaders in the kingdom roll. Leslie Newbigin wrote, wrote these words about John 13. This is not just an active lesson in humility. Peter could have understood that. The foot washing is a sign of the ultimate subversion of all human authority, which took place when Jesus was crucified by the powers that rule this present age. In a worldly way of thinking, Nubinia says, a supreme God will be the one who stands at the summit of a chain of command. How can the natural man recognize this supreme God in the stooping figure of a slave clad only with a loincloth? And that's what Jesus did. He stripped down to his undergarment, took a basin of water, a towel, began washing the feet of his friends. And this Jesus, we believe is the incarnation of God Almighty. The truth is Jesus, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, serves us, and you will never be able to outserve him. Jesus ends up saying, this isn't just about how a real leader should act. This is how anyone calling themselves his follower should act. We, if we are Christ followers, must be in the foot-washing business. And at Preston Chris this morning, you know, dozens and dozens of women and men are involved in service. You've already been served by them. You may not have thought about it that way, but we have leaders, servant leaders, staffing the nursery. We have leaders, servant leaders, men and women who have prepared communion and served communion for us this morning. We have people like Julie Barnes and Becky Holloway who are going to be in the children's ministry teaching children's classes just like they have been doing for years. Um, we have, you know, Papa Bear, I think he's in New York this week, John Collier, but John Collier has been over the last year for free um, serving our youth group here at Pres and crest. Um, other men and women have been serving us by, by welcoming us at the Welcome Center at, or at one of the doors or handing us a bulletin this morning. You've already been served in a bunch of ways. I mean, unless you, and I, and I drank coffee that I did not prepare this morning when I got here, and I opened a door that someone else had unlocked for me when I got here this morning. Um, I've been served in a lot of different ways, and somebody came in here and cleaned up this room, and after this service is over this morning, after first service, before second service, some more people are going to come in and clean this room off so it's clean for second service. So much service going on, and, and David Bradburn up in the 24-7 connection, arranging all of the chairs this morning. No one ever sees him except me when I go in to brush my teeth, and he's in there arranging the chairs every Sunday morning. Leaders, servant leaders, or this week, I mean, I never get enough of seeing this on Wednesdays. It is so cool being in the office on Wednesday to see Marv North and Barry Trammell, two elder, uh, yeah, Billy, Marv North and Billy Trammell, two elderly gentlemen who come strolling in here on Wednesdays, get a bunch of boxes of food, and then meet folks from the community that come in needing food. Just serving. You get the point. A lot of foot washing has gone on here this morning, will happen here this morning and this week, just on our property, but obviously outside in the community as well through our members. 
loving service, foot washing. That's what the flow of God looks like. The Holy Spirit records in Paul's writings that service is a spiritual gift. That means, spiritual means of the Spirit. That means the Holy Spirit gives the gift of service to the body of Christ. It's something He gifts us with. And at Preston Christ, um, I know you can find stuff to complain about, man. I mean, it's, it's not hard to find. I'm sure you can find stuff to complain about, about any church in Dallas this morning. You can find stuff to complain about at Preston Christ as well. But complaining is not something Jesus modeled for us. Nor is it something that Paul wrote down as a spiritual gift, right? Let's just be clear on that, okay? We all know there is a normal in our culture and in our world. And I would say the normal in our culture and in our world is serve me. Serve me. Do it with a smile on your face. Do it perfectly. Make sure my tea glass is full or I'm not coming back. Serve me at church or I'll find another church. I'll find someone who does a better job of serving me. And guys, that's just normal. Normal for the world. Normal for the culture. Kingdom normal is fueled by love, is fueled by compassion and service to others. And I would call it chronic service, habitual service, chronic service, because once you are infected by the gospel, you live to serve others. Potential is God's gift to us. What we do with it is our gift to God. Potential is God's gift to us. What we do with it is our gift to God. God has given you potential. God has given each one of us resources of time and talent and money. What we do with that, how we leverage that, is a way that we worship God, is a way that we show our gratitude back to God. Now, you've heard this um, perhaps ad nauseum this year, um, but you're going to hear it again this morning. So over 3,000 dreams collected, right? We have dream power going on. Unless you're a visitor, you know this. Dream power has been going on this year. Over 3,000 dreams collected by this church about how we want to minister here and in our city and in our world, thinking about the future, thinking about how this body can be involved in that. And you also know, because I've said it uh, a bunch of times, that the by far the biggest category, over 800 dreams were about you guys dreaming about serving the community around us, about serving this great city that God has placed us in. And, and I am excited about that. And so dreams months ago were submitted, thousands of dreams. Dreams have been sorted. Dreams have been tabulated. Dreams have been prioritized by 13 committees of members here at Preston Crest who are already involved in some of these ministry areas. Um, those tabulations and priorities have already been uh, presented to the elders, um, long elders meetings the last few weeks, really. As these groups came in and just shared in these wonderful presentations, the dreams of this congregation, the, the top dreams, the ones that, that came out loudest and clearest 
clearest out of dream power. So, yeah, um, it comes out to, I think, I don't know exactly. I didn't add this up, but it's around uh, of the prioritized top dreams on these 13 lists. There's like 90 dreams of, of new things that this congregation wants to be involved in. And, 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 that's, and, and that's great. So you're going to be hearing a lot more about these 90 dreams. Um, and as we look for champions and we look for volunteers, it wouldn't be great if all 90 dreams came to reality. Probably some of them won't have enough volunteers, won't have a champion, and simply won't happen. But a lot of them will. Let's be honest this morning. Um, not all of the 90 will probably happen because we need people to step up. And we need people to continue to step up to great ministries that are already happening, some of which struggle to find volunteers, um, some of these foot-washing ministries. But I was just thinking, as Community Outreach came in, and they shared some of these dreams with us, um, they shared a dream of, of establishing uh, an addiction recovery ministry here. What if we started to celebrate recovery here? And what if we had our members lead and staff this and we ministered to our own flock that struggles or perhaps friends of yours who struggle with chemical addiction or other addictions and hang-ups and hurts? I thought that was a beautiful dream. There was a dream of partnering with the network of agencies and churches in our community who are already doing so much. Instead of reinventing the wheel, how can we help those folks who already have ministries up and running that are serving our community? There was a dream of, of greatly expanding our, our local service and our local outreach and our local evangelism. There was a dream of, of even, even on Sunday morning, our greeters ministry. Um, thinking about local outreach, I mean, that is a, the, the point of attack where, where, where people come into here for the first time, and some of you may be here for the first time. How are we going to host? How are we going to receive? How are we going to welcome these people? We want to do it well. We want to do it well. We want to wash feet at the doors of the building and in the lobby of the building and, and, and make sure that our guests know how much we care about them. There was a dream about, or lots of dreams, about multi-generational mentoring, um, getting, getting folks of different ages all mixed up and, and involved in each other's lives because there's a lot of wisdom that younger people can gain from, from our more senior members. And there's a lot of um, zeal and energy that will excite our older members from our younger members. So, I mean, as we see Jesus washing feet, and as we hear this call, you've seen me wash feet. Go wash feet. Follow my example. As we hear that call... We're going to need to dramatically, I'll just call a spade a spade, we're going to need to dramatically increase the number of members involved in ministry. And I think as I looked at all these wonderful dreams, I think we need a lot more members. I think God needs to grow this kingdom here so that we can bring these dreams into reality, so that we can birth these dreams because they're beautiful and they're good and I know they honor God. But none of the dreams will happen on their own. Um, they're going to need funding. You know, they're going to need, more importantly, they're going to need champions and foot washers who will help them become reality. So, hey, God's family at Preston Crest needs you, and you're going to be hearing a lot more in the next three months, six months, uh, about specific new opportunities to serve and old opportunities to serve here and how you can wash feet at Preston Crest. And the family here needs you to be fully alive, to be fully engaged and active in ministries that honor Jesus here at this congregation. So, 
Yeah. I, like I said, I think God is going to have to grow not only our, in, our percentage of involvement, I think God's going to need to grow the body in terms of, of the souls and the saints that worship here so that we can, we can live out these beautiful dreams. Um, also, we need to partner with other kingdom people um, outside of the membership of this congregation. But I'm really excited. I'm excited about the future here. I'm excited about, about what God is doing. Dream Power has been amazing um, to a large extent. I think you could say um, the next 10 years of our future is going to be determined by 2013, all right? The next 10 years is going to be determined by how well we do within the next 12 months of, of, of stepping up or stepping down, rather, and washing, washing feet and bringing these dreams into reality. So, we've dreamed for Jesus now he's calling us to get our hands dirty, grab the basin, grab the towel, and get busy.